You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. In equatorial Africa, far from pharmacies and hospitals, a woman died in childbirth, leaving behind a grieving two-year-old daughter and a premature baby in danger of succumbing to the chill of the night. With no incubator, no electricity, and very few supplies, the newborn's life was in jeopardy. A helper filled a hot water bottle to maintain the warmth desperately needed by the infant. But suddenly, the rubber burst, and it was the last hot water bottle in the village. Have you ever wondered to yourself, where is God? Where is he? What's he doing? Does he care? Is he paying attention? Is he tuned in? Where is God? This story comes out of a book that I read, and I'll put the picture up of the book later, but I read the book this week. It's called A Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. The story goes on, and it says this. A visiting missionary physician from Northern Ireland, Dr. Helen Rosevere, asked the orphans to pray for the situation. But a faith-filled 10-year-old named Ruth seemed to go too far. Please, God, send us a water bottle, she implored. It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. And as if that request was not sufficiently audacious, she added, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? Recalled Rosevere. I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh yes, I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? The only hope of getting a water bottle would be from a parcel sent from the homeland. But she had never received one during the almost four years that she had lived there. Anyway, she mused, if anyone did send a parcel... Who would put in a hot water bottle? I live on the equator. A couple hours later, a car dropped off a 22-pound package. The orphans helped open it and sort through the contents, some clothing for them, bandages for the leprosy patients, and a bit of food. Oh, and this. As I put my hand in again, I felt the, wait, could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle, said Rosevere. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. With that, little Ruth rushed forward. If God had sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too, she exclaimed. She dug through the packaging and found it at the bottom of the parcel. A beautifully dressed doll. Asked Ruth, can I go over with you, mommy, and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? That parcel had been packed five months earlier by Rosevere's former Sunday school class. The leader, feeling prompted by God, included the hot water bottle. A girl contributed the doll. And this package the only one ever to arrive was delivered the same day Ruth prayed for 
with the faith of a child. Is this a mere twist of fate? An embellished yarn? Or perhaps a miracle? Today, we're going to talk about God who does miracles. But I gotta tell you, I have questions like many of you. My hope by the end of today is at least to answer some of your questions, point you to some resources, and tell some Holy Ghost stories this morning. But let's just start with the Bible's claims on miracles. This is just in the book of John alone. Miracles exist from the beginning to the end in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But in the book of John alone, I put together a list of just some of the things we've seen, some of the things we see. Jesus changes water into wine miraculously. He never touches it. He heals a royal official's sick son in Capernaum. He heals a paralytic in Bethesda. He feeds 5,000. He walks on water. He heals a blind man who was blind from birth. So it's not like he was sick in his eyes and he did some medicine. He just miraculously healed him. And he also, oh, by the way, raised Lazarus from the dead. This is not to count his own resurrection and a plethora of other things. It's just some of the things in the book of John. This is why the book of John concludes in John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written down. Well, no kidding. There are times that Jesus is healing and it says the masses of the villages have gathered around him and he'll be in a house or outside and it's just person after person after person after person and Jesus is healing after healing after healing. Well, they didn't go through and write down every story. It's just like, well, Jesus healed the masses. Well, yeah, but imagine if we wrote down every single story, how long would that take? Now, this continues. This isn't just Jesus. His disciples, who at this point we now call the apostles, in the book of Acts, they start doing some pretty miraculous things too. So now I just grabbed a few from the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see this. We see a lame man healed. He literally is told to stand up and walk. He can't walk. He's paralyzed of some sort or has a, something, a deformed leg, broken leg, something. We see a literal building shaken from prayer. We see Ananias and Sapphira literally drop dead because Peter said that's what was going to happen to them because they lied to the church and lied to God. It's in there. I don't know, you're right, I'm just saying. The apostles who are imprisoned and chained are freed and set free by an angel. There is a, a Paul's vo Paul, when he's converted, there's a light that comes down, here's a voice from heaven, scales over his eyes, and when he gives his life to Jesus, the scales fall off his eyes. The whole thing is a miracle. This guy named Aeneas, he's healed of paralysis. Paul is freed from prison in another story by an earthquake. A guy named Eutychus falls out of a window because um, Paul is preaching so long. It's like when my sermons get really long and he falls asleep and he falls to his death. And Eutychus too, if you'd have fallen to your death from falling up. That's a Bible college joke for you. And Paul goes down and raises him from the dead. And then Paul is bit by a viper, and it doesn't affect him one iota. In fact, the people start to listen to his message because of it. So here, what do we do with all the, I mean, this, guys, this is just a snippet of the things that we read about in the Bible. So you may be sitting here today, you may be not sure about God. I get it. I do. I get it. Because in order to believe in God means to believe that God can do literally anything, anything. 
But what is the purpose of miracles? Miracles exist to testify to God's activity. That's the reason miracles, that's the reason they existed in the Bible. And if they exist today, which we'll get to that, that's the reason they exist today, to testify to God's sovereign activity in the world. Let me just show you, show you three quick passages that tell us this, ready? John chapter four, verse 48, Jesus goes back after he turns the water into wine, he goes back into to Cana and he's asked to heal a man's son who is about to die. And Jesus makes this statement, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. In other words, wouldn't it be great if you could believe if God never did a sign and wonder? That's the implication. What if he never does anything? Can you still trust in him? But Jesus also knows that people don't believe that easy, so he gives signs and wonders. And in this situation, he looks at the man and says, your son is healed. He's not even near the guy. The guy starts his journey home. When he gets about halfway there, it's like the next day, some servants come running to him, some friends, and say, your son has been healed. He goes, when did it happen? They say, about one o'clock yesterday. He's like, oh my goodness, that's about when Jesus told me your son will be healed. This kid is in another place. He's in another location. Jesus healed him and he's not even there. So what is the point? It testifies to who Jesus is. That's why in John 5, 36, go on to the next chapter there, it would say, Jesus says, I have a weightier testimony than that of John. I don't wanna confuse you. The book is written by John the apostle, the, apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's his own title for himself. This is John the baptizer, John the Baptist. He says, I have a weightier, te sorry, testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. So the purpose of all these miracles that Jesus is doing is to testify to who he really is and who really sent him. Hebrews chapter two, verse four says, God also testified to salvation through Jesus by signs, wonders, and miraculous, or sorry, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the purpose, again, of all of these things was to give testimony to who God is and what he's doing in the world. But it brings up a great question, doesn't it? Why does it seem God is less active today? You ever wonder that? Let me be clear about what today is and what today isn't. What we are not going to do today is have time to study um, spiritual miraculous gifts. We don't have time to go into, say, 1 Corinthians 13. For those of you who are familiar with it, that is not what we're going to focus today. What I do wanna focus on today is this question right here. Is God less active today? And if so, why does it seem he is less active today? Well, as I told you earlier, I read a book this week called The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. I don't know if you've ever read any Lee Strobel books. They're all pretty much the same. Lee Strobel was an atheist whose wife came to faith and... Um, he set out to disprove Christianity so he could have his wife back. And according to his own testimony, even in this book, it's in a lot of his books, he was um, selfish, he was a drunkard, he was a lot of things, um, but he was not a Christian. And when he set out to disprove the Christian faith, he was a uh, award-winning journalist and became convinced, after all, that God is real and Jesus is real as well. And he became a Christian and he worked for a while at Willow Creek Community Church and uh, then he's written a number of books and they all start with the case for. The case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for miracles, case for creation, the case for Easter. And I've, I've read about three-fourths of them and I recommend all of them. They're all good. Today though, a case for miracles is super good because he does a really good job of just answering the question. 
he starts with an interview with a philosopher named Hume. And that's his very first, well, I guess the first chapter of the book, not kind of the introduction. And in it, Mr. Hume portrays the idea that the reason he doesn't believe in miracles is in part because he's not really seen them do anything in his own life. Not to count, there was a study done a couple decades ago, and the study was called the STEP study. And it was a study done to test, a scientific study put together to test whether prayer works or not, whether prayer is effective or not, whether prayer can actually do anything or not. And at the end of this study, it was concluded that prayer had no impact on the patients being prayed for. But in this book, he does a phenomenal job, a chapter four, of interviewing a lady from our own backyard in Bloomington, Indiana, who teaches at IU in the religion department. And she says the study was tremendously faulty. The group they appointed to pray was from the Unity Church. Now, they're called the Unity of Christianity or something like that. They've changed their name two or three times. But this is not an Orthodox Christian group. Nobody would claim they're Christian. Their own doctrines go directly against the scriptures. And this is massive and significant for us. There have been two studies since that study that is quoted by her in this book. And she says both studies prove that when Christians pray, things happen. Which is why we could say God is just as active today in his children. Now, God can listen to any prayer of any person he wants, any day, any time. But we are told there is a special, unique connection, relationship between those who love God and follow after God, that he has specifically tuned in to our lives and our prayers. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is Trinitarian language, which is not the focus of today, but Jesus is saying, I am, I am in God the Father, God the Father is in me. Or at least believe, he says, on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, if you're still not sure because you're looking at a man, at least believe because you see me doing things that you can't explain. At least believe on that. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And that verse terrifies me. Do you know why that verse terrifies me? Because I've prayed for some things, and God didn't do what I asked. Or he didn't do it when I asked. Or he didn't do it how I asked. And it creates a conundrum, right? But this was never intended to be a magic formula whereby you could control God and dictate to him what he needs to do. If that's how you think of this, then you're missing the purpose. The goal of this is a partnership, a relationship. Again, I say this every week. If I had another hour, <laughs> in the very beginning, before sin entered, sin entered anything, God made Adam and Eve. And he created this beautiful world. 
And there was a partnership between heaven and earth where Adam and Eve were gonna rule and reign on God's earth. And we are told consistently through the New Testament and even into the book of Revelation that one day when Jesus returns and all things are renewed and restored, the final judgment has occurred, we will once again rule and reign on a new heaven and a new earth. So we were created to rule and to reign. It's a partnership, a relationship, a uniting of the physical and the spiritual. And one day all of that will be restored, but we live between these two things. We're stuck in the middle. So God has not yet restored all things, so we're very much in a world that is depleted and destroyed by sin. However, God intends to do things through us. But for what purpose? To testify to his presence, his activity, to his goodness, to his faithfulness, not to make us handsome or rich or wise. The goal is for him to become great and us to become less. Now that doesn't mean God has spoiled me in ways I can't even explain to you. If I had enough time, I could tell you stories. You've heard many of them. Some stories that I'm sometimes afraid to tell publicly because I'm afraid that people will think I'm awesome. I'm not awesome. I put my shoes on, my pants on, like everybody else. Sometimes backwards, I have to flip them around because I'm not paying attention. But most of the time, like everybody else, I don't get extra access to God because I have the title pastor before my name. It doesn't do anything. Anything that God does in me and through me has come only by his goodness and his grace, and it is freely available for all of his children. I told you before, my neighbor has had a number of health issues, and he went into the hospital, and I showed up to visit. This is a handful or so years ago now. And I just asked how they were doing, and, and, and the wife said, I've told him many times, it's okay, go home. Go be with Jesus. It's okay to let go. And before I prayed, honestly, here's what went through my head. Here's what goes through your head. I'm gonna pray. And I felt the Spirit say, don't pray weak, pray bold. I'm like, but what if I pray bold and nothing happens? What if I ask you to heal him and you don't? Now, am I afraid that God will look bad or am I afraid that I'll look bad? And these are the things we have to deal with. We gotta get our pride out of the way. We've got to trust God to have answers that we don't have. We have to trust that he knows more than us so that when we're praying, we're praying in faith and asking for the best that we know how and then letting him handle it. He was later released from the hospital. I can't explain it. She started calling me her little angel for a little while there. Was God gonna do it through medicine? Maybe. Was it gonna happen anyway? Possibly, I don't know. I just know that I prayed and a couple hours later, things changed. There was this one time in Colorado, I was seeing a guy named Dr. Walker. I've talked about him before. He's a pastor to pastors. And he wanted me to read a book. And the way that it works, there's two blocks for the day. So you either meet with Dr. Walker from like eight to noon or you get the afternoon session and you go from like one to five. And I had the morning session. And so one day he's like, man, I'm gonna send you on. I want you to read this book. So go back on your time tonight, read this book. Well, I got back and I had, I was way overworking. I was kind of in a burnout season. I was tired. And I had some other work things I had to do, emails and others. So I went back to my room and, and I putzed around and I took a hot bath and I did emails and I, I didn't read all the book. And I came back the next morning and I read part of the book and he was kind of mad at me. And uh, I needed this disciplining from a father figure. And he was like, Matt, if I ever give you a homework assignment, I expect you to do it. He's like, so we're done here. We're not gonna meet this morning. I want you to go and read the book like I asked you to do. So he had this plateau. It was just up in the Northern Colorado, this plateau out there. 
And uh, I decided, okay, I'm gonna go up to the top of that plateau and read the book, it'll be awesome. It was a wonderful day and I hiked up, got up to the top of this plateau and when I get up there, the wind, it's Colorado, I don't know what I was thinking. The wind was so terrible, I literally couldn't read the book. So I'm sitting on the edge of this plateau, kind of my feet dangling off the edge of this thing and I'm trying to read this book and the pages are going everywhere and I couldn't read. And I was like, God, I'm running out of time. Like, I gotta, I gotta get this book done or Dr. Walker's going to kill me. And this is not gonna go over well. And I've already let him down once. I don't wanna let him down again. I was like, God, if you have anything in this book for me, just, would you help me to read it? Like, help me. Like, nothing really happened, nothing really happened. Like, okay, so this is alcove there, right there, uh, that like, it's made of rock that sits about this high off the ground. It's almost like U-shaped at the top of this plateau. And I went and I, I kind of hunkered down in there and I thought maybe this will provide some protection from the wind, but it really just created a tornado. <laughs> like the wind got in there and made like this circular motion. Like I'm, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Anyway, I'm like, God, this didn't work. And now I'm cold. I'm like literally pulling like the top of my sweater up to my chin. I'm like, this is freezing. I had just talked with one of my friends who had just graduated from Bible college. And uh, I was five years or so older than him. And uh, one of his roommates came from Africa. And as he was telling me these stories, his roommate would tell him about these crazy things he's seen God do in Africa. And he was asking me, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know, you know, we don't see very many miracles today, blah, 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 blah. And he said, my friend thinks that the reason Americans don't see as many miracles is because they aren't looking for them. They aren't looking for God to act. And I said, so what are you saying? He's like, I don't know, I've just been challenged to pray boldly lately. So I'm sitting up there and I'm thinking, I'm crazy. This is crazy. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even know if I've ever told this story to you guys or not because I think people think I'm crazy, but I only know what happened. So I just said, God, I know I need to read this book and I've wasted a couple hours hiking up here and I'm gonna have to spend another hour hiking down. I have a very limited amount of time. God, if you want me to read this book, if there's something special for me in this book, would you just make the wind stop blowing so I can read this? In Jesus' name, amen. And I sat there, and over about the next five seconds, the wind stopped blowing on me. Now, I could hear the wind raging around me. I could see the trees moving in the wind. But where I was sitting, there was no wind. And I got a chill up and down my spine. And I thought, oh, wow, he, better, he probably has something really big in his book for me. <laughs> and it's the only book besides the Bible that I've read 11 times now. And I give the book to people in ministry and pastors all the time, and they all come back to me like, holy cow, that book. And I was like, I know, it changed my life. And that book set the trajectory for my life that eventually set me up to be able to be here, and I don't have time for that whole story. But I would say that that was a unique moment in time. That is not the norm of my life. I don't walk outside and say, God, can you make it stop raining so I can play with my kids today? I've tried it, and God usually goes, no, I have other plans for today. <laughs> So don't think I'm amazing. There was a moment in time that God wanted to intercede to do something in my life and get my attention, and he did it. In John 15, four through five, Jesus says this, remain in me, and I also remain in you, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's why I think that first prayer study has zero impact. Because the people they appointed to pray and called them Christians aren't Christians. When we remain in relationship with God, 
God remains in relationship with us and our lives have resurrection power. But let me answer this question very quickly. I don't have a lot of time. This is not the focus of today's sermon. But what if I pray and nothing seems to change? There are at least three people that I know of in the last two weeks at Kingsway who prayed and prayed and prayed. Now, some of them are friends or family. There may be more. There's just three that I know of. And people literally died. And it brings up a great question, doesn't it? Like, so do I just not have enough faith? Does God just not listen to me? Why does he listen to you? Does he not care? I think these are all great questions. I've talked about them extensively in the past. I don't have time to talk about it extensively today. But I do wanna share one passage with you. A passage that I hope will anchor your trust in God. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 57, verse one. God says, the righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. When I came across this passage about 10 years ago, it it dawned on me. Sometimes when I pray and ask God to heal somebody and he doesn't, it's not because he's not listening. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't love me. It's because he knows what's better for them. Anytime I pray and I'm asking God to do something miraculous, I'm trusting that he knows better than me. I'm trusting that he knows what the right decision is, even if I don't understand it. And so my prayer is always, God, help me in my unbelief. Grow me in my faith. Help me to both trust you more and to pray more boldly. So I want you to pray boldly, but to leave the results in God's hands. Don't be afraid if he says no, because if he says no, he's a good God. He might be saying no because he knows what you're asking for isn't best. Or he might have something even better for you than that. But don't be afraid to pray. Now listen, if you are going through a particularly hard season, I wanna encourage you to text the word connect any day, anytime. We have ministries, we have staff, we have people in our church who've been through there before. We just wanna come alongside you. So I, I wanna move on and cover a couple more things in my last few minutes. But I just wanna encourage you, look at this, your story, don't go through life alone. Reach out. All right. Now, for the rest of us who aren't hurting, let's talk about a couple things that can hinder our relationship with God that might get in the way of answered prayers. Mark 9, 29 says this. Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And in Matthew 17, 21, he adds fasting and prayer. The context here is Jesus has just done the transfiguration with some of the disciples and the rest of the disciples are down here on the ground at the bottom of the mountain and they can't seem to heal a man's son who's been filled with a demon. And every once in a while the demon sees them, like throws them into a fire, bad things are happening. And the disciples who've been successfully casting out demons just like Jesus, they can't seem to deal with this one. And Jesus comes down and deals with it. The disciples pull him aside and they go, why couldn't we deal with it? And Jesus says, this kind could only come out by prayer. And then he adds in Matthew 17, 21, which if you go look it up, some verses don't include it because some manuscripts don't have it. We don't know if it's original, but it says fasting and prayer. But that gives you the context. What Jesus was thinking here is not just an immediate prayer, a ongoing relational connection to God through prayer. An ongoing relational connection through fasting gives you power that you don't have on your own. Are you with me? 
So if perhaps you aren't hearing from God on something, maybe what you need to do is spend some time fasting and praying. If you are doing that, then don't assume that's the problem. Here's another verse. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I don't have time to unpack this. I realize I just dropped a bomb in the room. But I will make one quick application, so stick with me. Weaker here does not mean weaker in thought. But think about this. In an ancient culture, the men would be educated, the women wouldn't be. The vast majority, something like 94%, couldn't read or write anyway in either. The men had power, the men had influence, the men had money, and the men could leave their wives for any reason. Literally, in Jewish culture, it was said anytime a wife displeased her husband, there's a massive power structure issue going on. So Peter is reminding them, they may be the weaker partner, could be physically weaker, could be weaker because of structures in the, in the community, whatever it is, but if you don't treat them with honor and love and respect the way that Jesus treats his church, your prayers will be hindered. If perhaps you're finding that God's not answering your prayers. Men, especially. Is it because you are not loving and honoring your wife? Here's another one. James chapter four, verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What if the reason God doesn't say yes is because he knows ultimately what you're gunning for is to make yourself greater and not him greater? So, Wrestle with these things. The Bible was never intended to be a social media verse, put it out there and there's my life. It's supposed to be a document that I chew on and I think about and I process and I meditate. And when I have hard questions, I go to God and say, God, I don't understand this one. I need you to give me wisdom and insight. You cry out for it and God provides it. What God is looking for, God is looking for kingdom partners who are all about advancing his kingdom. That's what God wants. So if you want to see God do more in the world, join him in what he's doing in the world. And I'll show this to you. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's this powerful moment. Isaiah is given a vision of heaven. He's called into the heavenly courtroom. And we don't know if he's literally there or if he's just seeing things. We don't know. But it's real. He could taste it and touch it and feel it and sense it. And it says, the train of God's robe filled the temple with glory. He's so big, the temple can't hold him. His train of his robe fills the temple. This is a little bit like Moses when he says, God, let me see your face. And God says, like, now you can't handle the truth. And he puts him in the cleft of the rock and covers him with his hand and his glory passes by. His glory is so all-encompassing. And Moses is like glowing like lightning, right? Well, back to Isaiah. And there's this powerful thing happening in this moment. And everybody's worshiping. The angels are worshiping. He's the only human present. He's getting a view of the heavenly courtroom. And it's this overwhelming, profound moment. And, and he realizes in Isaiah chapter six, verse five, woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he's overwhelmed in the presence of God. Just, oh my goodness. Look at his power, his majesty, his might. I am nothing. I'm a human and I'm a sinner. And in verse six, then one of the seraphim, that's a special angel, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah comes into the presence of God, sees his awesomeness, realizes how weak and frail and sinful he is, and he cries out, woe to me. And God deals with it by healing him and cleansing him. This is exactly what happens when we come to faith in Jesus and we get baptized into the waters. God cleans us and heals us and frees us. And we stand just like Isaiah does at this moment. And see, he comes down and I know there's all these things going on I don't have time for that are happening in the Old Testament sacrifice, but that's the relevance of touching it with the hot coal from the altar It's cleansing and purification that's happening here. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying in verse eight, whom shall I send? Who is gonna go for us? This is the heavenly courthouse. God deals with the angels like he deals with us. He wants them to work. He wants them to interact. He wants them to do things. And we're getting a look into the heavenly courthouse for just a moment where everybody's uh, worshiping him and praising him and he's giving people responsibilities. And Isaiah is so caught up in the moment. He goes, here I am, send me. Look at the next bar here. Go to the next slide. Yes, this is critical. Here, me, me. What a powerful moment. And this word here for here am I is the word hini. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't do Hebrew well. It means something like, look, behold, I'm here. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we see these two words over and over and over again when we find this word in Hebrew. Behold, behold, look, look. But that's the point of Isaiah. Isaiah's going, me, 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 come here. Yeah, me, choose me, let me go. I wanna be the one to go and do your will. Now, if we had that kind of fervor, what might happen? The prophet Isaiah goes out to the people. If you read the rest of Isaiah 6, it's terrible. God says, okay, I'm gonna send you, but the people aren't gonna listen. And they're gonna have hard hearts. They're gonna have deaf ears. They're gonna have blind eyes. They're not gonna listen. They're not gonna receive your message, so go. How about that ministry? Have fun, Isaiah. And Isaiah goes out to tell the Israelites to call them back to God and they won't and they won't and he warns them over and over and over again, if you don't do this, it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be bad. Eventually it leads to Nebuchadnezzar coming in with the Babylonians and terrible, terrible destruction, which is why God wrote, as I read earlier in Isaiah 57, about the righteous perishing because Israelites are struggling and saying, why would you let the good die, God? He's like, you don't understand everything I'm dealing with. I'm taking them away so they don't suffer more. But coming back now, God's telling Isaiah, this is going to be your ministry. But the people don't listen. They don't respond. So we get to Isaiah 58 later on in the book. And God is being questioned by the Israelites. Israelites come to say, we fast and we pray all the time. But you don't listen. You're not doing anything. Sound familiar? And God says to them, what? I'm not simply looking for you to skip some meals. I'm not simply looking for you to put some oil on your head, wash your face, show up at a celebration or a worship service. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is a partner, a a person who is completely sold out and transformed and all in with me. And then God goes on in Isaiah 58, verse six, and he says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. 
then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Do you see it? When we get in on what God is doing in the world, God looks down and you can say, who will go on our behalf to deal with this? And God says, I'll go. Here I am. Send me. Do you see it? What if the reason much of the American church doesn't quite see the activity of God the way other people do in other places is because we have other answers that aren't God? Because we don't desire him or long for him or meet with him or talk with him or partner with him or sacrifice for him in a way that he could say, here am I, send me. But I don't know about you. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to live whatever days God will give me left on this earth alongside a group of people who will say, here I am, God, send me. And we get in on the things that God is doing in the world. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we're tired, and sometimes we need naps. And sometimes we give till it hurts. But because we want to see God's activity at work in us, around us, through us, and we want to tell Holy Ghost stories on a regular basis. So we just keep doing it. We keep doing it, we keep doing it until he returns or calls us home. And maybe you're out there and this message is hitting you in a particular way. Maybe you're out there and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe today's the day for you. What, do you, what other conversation do you need? What else do you need to know besides that God loves you and he wants to do things through you in this world and he's calling you into that relationship. If you have never taken that step of faith, next service, I think we have at least three baptisms from people who've said, I'm in, I'm in. And so maybe your day is today. I just wanna encourage you right now. If you're ready to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand? And I know it may be weird and maybe awkward, but God is waiting to say, here I am. We have people ready to find you. You gotta raise them high enough for them to see. They're looking for you right now. Upstairs too. Now, for the rest of us, I wanna pray that God would take this message and embolden you in your prayer, in your fasting, in your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, move in us. We don't just want to get together to receive a message. God, we wanna to get together to be transformed by the message. God, I know that you wanna move in us. I know that you wanna use us. I know that you want to do things in our lives. And I don't know why you, you don't always do everything I ask when I ask and how I ask, but I trust you. God, grow our faith. Increase our faith, Father. Increase our, our belief to overcome our unbelief and our doubts and our fears and our anxieties and our worries about tomorrow. God, instead, help us to live in this moment, in this place with you. 
And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who are struggling. Maybe they've lost a loved one or they have a loved one who's sick or whatever it is. God, I pray that you would build them up, encourage them, show them your faithfulness. But God, send us out to make a difference in this world. We love you. We thank you for being a God who hears our prayers. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said,